0: Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Allison and I'm so glad you're here to discover what brings out the best of you. This podcast is all about breaking free from painful patterns, mending the past and discovering our true selves in God. I can't wait to get started as we learn together how to become the best version of who we are with God's help. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Best of You podcast. I am so excited to kick off a brand new series this week called Real People Overcoming Real Problems. So this series is in response to your request. You wanted to hear real stories from real people who have worked to overcome real-life problems. We are going to cover some really important topics in this series, and I cannot wait for you to meet the women I have lined up to talk with us. In today's episode, we're talking with a new friend of mine. Her name is Ashley Abercrombie. Okay, I am so excited today to talk with my new friend, really a new friend, Ashley Abercrombie. Am I saying that right? Yes, you are. (laughs) We first met at a retreat. We were both invited to just a few months ago, and I was so nervous going to this retreat. I love the deep one-on-one, but these large gatherings with a lot of new people really stir up some anxiety in me. I feel sort of awkward and angsty. Sometimes I try too hard, and then sometimes I just pull back and don't say anything. Anyway... The thing that really stood out to me this very first night was this woman, Ashley, who is our guest today. There were two things in particular, and I want you to hear me say this, Ashley, and I want my listeners to hear me say this, because we're going to hear your story, right? This is what I want, this this juxtaposition of. I know there's a lot to your story that I don't know yet, but what I saw was this woman who was so authentic. She carried herself as a woman who is free. That's the word that came to mind, kind Witty, accessible, funny, but really real. And what I noticed is, and I think this is really true for all of us to remember that freedom that Ashley carried herself with all of a sudden settled something in me. And we didn't even really talk that first day or two. I was just watching this from across the room, but something in me was like, it's okay. It's okay. It sort of freed something in me. She also shared really candidly about a history with addiction, some isolation and loneliness that you've been feeling as a result of these pandemic years. Just so much that I wanted to get to know more. And so I'm so excited, Ashley, that you agreed to come on with me. Before we get to you, I want to just give a quick bio for the listeners who aren't yet familiar with you. Ashley is a writer, a speaker with a passion for justice, particularly anti-human trafficking. I want to hear more about that and mass incarceration initiatives. She's an executive board member of Treasures, a nonprofit that reaches and supports women in the sex industry and victims of sexual exploitation while training leaders globally. Amazing. This is a woman on a mission. This is what I love. Your work has been featured all sorts of places, all sorts of magazines, but these two book titles, the first one, which I think was your first book, Ashley, which is Rise of the Truth Teller, Own Your Story, tell it like it is, and live with holy gumption. That is who I saw that night. And I didn't even know like what you were about, but I saw that title and I was like, oh yeah, okay, I see that. And then a new your new book or a recent book that just came out, Love is the Resistance, Learn to Disagree, Resolve the Conflicts You've Been Avoiding, and Create Real Change. Wow. Okay. You're also a podcast host of great podcast with Tiffany Bloom called Why Though. She currently lives in Los Angeles, raising three children. Is that mm-hmm. right? That's right. Welcome to the best of you, Ashley. I'm so glad you're here.
1: Oh, well, you made me sound so good. So thank you for being so kind to me. And I felt the same about your peaceful nature on the retreat. And as much as I might mask as an extrovert, the truth is, you know, I get very nervous around people and more specifically people I don't know. And I haven't done very many of these things during COVID. So I felt the same sort of angsty nervousness that you're talking about. <laughs> so I appreciated you being a soft place for so many of us to land. Thank you.
0: <laughs> you know, I think that was a big part of it. For so- That was another overlay of all the angstiness. It was f- yeah. for so many of us the first time, literally, we'd been in a room full of people. Yes, And so you already have all of the angst that comes with new people. But then it was like, how do we do this? Yes. You know? (laughs)
1: Right. Awkward turtle. I don't know how to talk. How do I put my hands? What do I do? You know, it's like all of that. (laughs) It was intense. But it was really
0: cool. And I'm just really excited to get to know more about your story. So I want to dive right in. If you're ready for that. I'm ready. Um, All right. Okay. One of the things you mentioned during that first night, I think you've been 20 years sober. Yes.
1: This year marks 20 years of sobriety for me. Yeah. It's huge. <laughs> That's huge. Are you going to celebrate that or you do, you know do kind of. I should, I really, really should. I don't think I've set aside a real marker of sobriety, like to set time to really just be like, Oh, this is amazing mm. 20 years. But I think part of that is in the sober process, you really are living one day at a time when one moment at a time. And I think it's a miracle from God the last two years that I didn't fall back into some type of addiction. You know, I know mm-hmm. a lot of people who relapsed during the last few years. So I just feel, I think I'm feeling very humble and tender about it where it's like a threat of grace. <laughs> Have I hit 20 years and I'm grateful.
0: <laughs> Interesting. Just that moment of, yeah, thank you. Thank you, mm-hmm. God. Yeah. There's been a lot these last two years that yeah. would get the best of, Any of us, right? (laughs) Well, I'd love to go back in time for a moment to that younger version Mm -hmm. of you from 20 years ago. I guess it would be before 20 years ago, who you were at that time and what were some of the circumstances? How old would you have been in your teenage years when you started using?
1: Yeah. So my late teens, 18. Okay. So from 18 to about 21. And then I had a couple of relapses that first year as well. But I think my younger self, I grew up with a really wonderful experience, to be perfectly honest with you. We definitely had problems in my home of origin and in my extended family. I don't think anything unusual to what most families are facing. But at the same time, I'm from the South and not to put some sort of masky Southern culture thing on because I've, I've lived in Los Angeles. I've lived in Manhattan. I've lived in the South and everywhere you go, people put a mask on and people pretend to be something that they're not. And many of us don't know how to grapple with our own pain, much less express it in a way to others. Like we're not Mm -hmm. able to share it with other people. So that seems to be a very common thing, but in the South, there is sort of this culture where you don't tell your family's business and, you know, you should figure things out on your own and then present the most kind and most winsome version of yourself so i grew up in a place where i knew everybody had a rich experience in community and family in a small town and at the same time i grew up where everybody knew me but nobody really knew me at all yeah and from a very young age i did not know how to engage in reciprocal relationships i did not know how to open up and say to others i have pain too i was very often mm. the person people would come to the strong one the the one who had it together the one who was participating in a whole bunch of things and running a whole bunch of things so i think from the outside end no no one would ever know that I was struggling with addiction or that I was dealing with these sort of hidden pains and figuring out a way to cope. And because I'd never ever wanted to be a burden on anyone else, I'm setting the table for how I became an addict, but I didn't want to put a burden on anyone. I was very deathly afraid Of somebody having to deal with me. And I just wanted to sort of hide that part of myself and deal with it on my own and hope that I could fix it all. And I went off to college from a small town of 14,000 people in the Carolinas. And then I went to a campus that had 28,000 people on the campus alone. (laughs) So it was a huge shock to walk into classrooms of 300 people. And in high school, in my younger age, definitely having smaller classrooms and coaches who cared about me and teachers that really were very formative in the way I think, the way I talk, the way I write, like they were very supportive of me as a person to go from that to just being somebody's name on a roster was so much harder for me than I realized. And at the same time, my parents were going through a divorce after 23 years of marriage. And it was a really hard time. I was an athlete. I was on scholarship. And I say all of this because it's not like, I think many people think about recovery and they think about addicts and immediately think about some caricature of what an addict is, but very often high functioning people who appear to be fine are struggling with secret addictions. And it may not be drugs. It could be, you know, approval. It could be your phone. It could be achievements. It could be workaholism. Like there's a real struggle there for people who look fine. <laughs>
0: I love that you're highlighting this idea of, I see it all the time in my work as a counselor, Mm -hmm. these invisible traumas, whether they're big T or little t, it's hard enough when there's really overt trauma. That's hard enough. I don't want to compare, but there's this story of, I hear what you're saying, where there's this family that on the surface looks intact. It's interesting listening to you describe yourself because it's a little bit of the person I saw. There's a very capable, can-do aspect of you. Yes, yes. Right. And so who's gonna think that Ashley is struggling? Who's gonna right. think you're in need? You know, and then you add on all these overlays and it yeah. is it's it puts the complex when we talk about complex yeah. trauma, it right. puts the complex in complex. Sometimes I talk about it as a a million tiny paper cuts. Right. As opposed to one big gash. Yes.
1: Does that resonate with you? Yes, absolutely. I often say death by a thousand cuts. <laughs> it's like the seasonal story of my life at times. And when I chose to begin using drugs, it was more because I'm like looking for a release. I also was coming to the end of trying to please people and being a perfectionist. And I know that sounds really young to do that, but there had always been this dissonance in me that's like, you know, this part of me that's a little bit like, hey, you just say the thing that needs to be said, this sort of truth teller. I wrote a book about it. You know, like that's always been a part of me. But then there was also that side that was very eager to please and wasn't satisfied unless things were perfect and didn't want to present myself to anyone unless I presented as perfect. And so that was a very real struggle and tension inside of me. And it took a long time for me to integrate. And in fact, my process of, of addiction and recovery is actually what made me integrate my mind and my heart and my body and just to become a person who's more integrated and can handle my own brokenness. So I went through this addiction process of eating disorders and dealing with with um, drug addiction and abuse of alcohol. I had dysfunctional relationships. I had, mm-hmm. you know, pre- pretty much anything you could think of. I feel like it's just stacking on top of one another. And from that season of my life, you know, I was sexually assaulted in college. Like many women are on campus. And I, instead of dealing with it or talking about it or going to therapy for it, I went, I literally got up the next day and went to work as if nothing had happened to me. Cause that was the only way I knew how to cope. And so this this tension had created a capacity within me to disassociate and to compartmentalize my life so that I could deal with it and cope. But that also fed the addiction because you have to find an outlet for pain. And so the only way I knew not to burden others with my pain was to self-harm, to deal with my pain. And so I made the decision at 21 to move across the country to Los Angeles. I figured I could start all over. Nobody would have expectations over me. I didn't have to be Ashley, the athlete or Ashley who had a scholarship or Ashley, the glowing daughter or Ashley, this, that, and the other thing I can just go where nobody knows me. And so I didn't know a soul when I moved and I got there in the first three months felt like heaven. It's like, oh look at me. I'm peaceful. I don't need an addiction. Don't need a drink. Don't need to binge and purge. Like I'm good. And then I found out very quickly that everywhere you go, there you are. And I could not escape myself and I could not escape the pain. And I got lucky enough to start working at a restaurant where a couple of people went to a faith community that I ended up becoming a part of for many years. And at that faith community, they held a Monday night solutions meeting. And what that was, was like, it was almost like a recovery meeting. They went through safe people, changes that heal the boundaries books. And there were a big group and then small groups of women where you could talk about, you know, sexual abuse, where you could talk about sexual assault, where you could talk about eating disorders and pain. And it was kind of the first time in a group setting and in a faith setting that I had ever heard anybody connect our brokenness and humanity and struggles with God. I always thought I had to clean myself up first and it was kind of this awakening of like, God loves me where I am and he will journey with me through the process. And there are believers who will not shame me and who will love me and who are also broken. And that was the catalyst for change for me was realizing that I didn't have to be perfect and realizing that I never would be, that I was chasing some kind of gold glitter that doesn't exist, you know, (laughs) that I was never going to arrive at a place where I didn't have issues, problems, and pain, that that was part of humanity. And that was the beginning of my freedom journey. And so 20 years later, it's a lot, but you know, here we are. When you were first
0: in college, before you moved to Los Angeles, when yep. you were noticing that divide, first of all, were you aware, right? So my sense mm-hmm. of, as I'm listening to you, is there was the Ashley who people met, Ashley the yeah. athlete. Yeah. And then there was the Ashley who was, were you binging and purging? Yes. As well as using, using. drugs and alcohol. Yep.
1: And and did anybody know
0: about that, Ashley?
1: Nobody not really? even my best friends i mean i did not tell anyone in fact i didn't i circled back to my dear friends that i'm still close to from childhood we met when we were 5 i circled back after the first year of recovery and said i want to tell you the whole truth about myself and i also want to apologize for presenting as perfect cuz it must have been a very bad friendship experience for you like I, we had great friends we loved each other so well but i realized i was always putting myself as superior, and it was something I needed to apologize for.
0: (laughs) That is amazing. So during that period of time, several years,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. I mean, I just, to me, uh, the empathy I feel for those parts of you that had to maintain that divide, right? Yep. So you were one person here, right? Yep. But you didn't feel, you didn't know, you didn't have that freedom. It's not that you didn't have bad friends is what I'm hearing. It's not that people wouldn't have cared. But nowhere right. inside of you did you know I can actually mention that I'm hurting, <laughs> right? Yes. So so the only solution inside yep. your little Ashley body mm-hmm. and mind at that time yep. was I've just got to numb it out. I, I've got to yes. do whatever I've got to do over here to make that pain yep. go away because I cannot bring that pain Yep. To these relationships. One hundred percent. You have oh, nailed Ashley. it. Ashley. <laughs> I mean, it just breaks my heart, right? Because how yeah, many people are living with that? Yes. How many people are living with that? Like, yes. I've got to just be this person here. Yes. And then in the privacy. yep, The pain is so big. Yes. Whether it's tell. And like you said, I love what you said. Whether it's just I'm going to just tune it out with television. Right. You know, whatever it is that you do yep. for you. Just drown it out and then show back up with a big smile, right? Yes. Oh, that's just. And so when you, what I'm hearing is you go to L.A. So there was some part of you that was like, this has to change. 100%. Don't know how to ask for help. Don't know how to go to. So I'm just going to leave town. Leave. (laughs) Yes. Correct. I love this. I, I, I mean, you've got some bold, like audacious yes. parts of you. I love this. I get I why this, this resume comes in. You you put those parts to good work, right? Yes. Like, you're like, I'll just, I'll just start over. I'll just right. up, up and take myself and I'll do great for three or four months yep. until the same patterns yeah. show. Yep. Isn't that interesting? So there was some yeah. part of you that was like, I'll just do it. I'll just take care of it. Yeah. A recent survey found that 7 in 10 parents get an average of just 3 hours of sleep a night in their baby's first year. Moms, you deserve to have quality sleep, and I know one thing that will help. It's Cozy Earth. You can discover the secret to better sleep with Cozy Earth's luxurious bedding products. And here's an exclusive Mother's Day offer just for our listeners. Use code You for 35% off at CozyEarth.com. Cozy Earth bedding products are crafted with temperature-regulating technology that adapts to your body's needs through all phases of motherhood. And they use only the very best fabrics, materials, and weaves offering superior softness that invites you to sink into a world of comfort. The best part is, Cozy Earth stands by the quality and longevity of their products. Enjoy a 100-night sleep trial and a 10-year warranty on all purchases. They're built to last through the hardest days and the longest nights. Treat yourself to ultimate comfort with Cozy Earth bedding and sleepwear and prioritize your self-care and sleep health. Head over to CozyEarth.com and use promo code You for an exclusive 35% off. The luxury she deserves. Cozy Earth. Getting high-quality food and household essentials delivered right to my doorstep, whether it's my favorite Dave's Killer Bread, incredible wine, or seventh-generation cleaning supplies has been a game-changer for me. I love that Thrive Market only allows trusted, top-quality ingredients while restricting thousands of harmful ingredients like artificial flavors, high-fructose corn syrup, and more. And with just a few clicks, I can filter out ingredients that I don't want, like gluten or high-sugar content, making it so easy to find the items I need for my family. Best of all, when you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Save time and money and shop Thrive Market today. Go to thrivemarket.com slash best of you for 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com best of you. Thrivemarket.com slash best Best of you. I just, I'm so grateful for this conversation already because I'm like, I think so many, I think so many women are living that divide, maybe not in as overt ways. And then you go to this group. Yep. And this power of hearing people. Yeah. You said very clearly, you said talk about their pain. Yes. And even invite God into the pain versus I've got to get cleaned up. Mm-hmm. I mean, what was that like? Can you give me just a moment? What was that like one of those first meetings? What what was going on yeah. inside of you? I mean, was it a just an immediate aha? Did it take mm. you a little while to go, can I do that? Like, what was that like for you?
1: Yeah, I think what's really interesting is that I have always been a person who likes to seek out safe places. And there is this sort of radar that goes off in me when I know for sure something is safe. So I can't really explain it. It's like that old unction of the Holy spirit that they talk about when you can sense in the environment, like, Oh, I think I could be my whole self here. You know, when you go to somebody's house and they're super hospitable and you can tell that they don't care if you put on your presumptuous self or your best self, but they want the real you. And that is the environment that was cultivated. There was an LA born and raised person there leading. And he was so strong and so real. He talked real people language. Mm -hmm. He talked about his own struggles. And then Mm -hmm. there was this beautiful woman from England who was there and same thing. She was super real. And she talked about her kids and she talked about her life and her struggles in marriage. And it was kind of the first time that I thought like, oh, you can own that publicly too. And they weren't oversharing. Nobody was dumping on us. Nobody was blaming or shaming anyone in their life as they shared, but they just created this rich, safe environment that felt like I'm free to be me here. Yeah. And when I got into the small groups, it felt the same. It took me some time, you know, to really open up and share. I think for the most part, when I first started coming, I would just listen. And I think I would share, you know, briefly about some tiny struggle that, you know, my car broke down this week, you know, something that really was on the surface of what is true. Exactly. I love it. Okay. And just watching, seeing what happened. And then eventually it was like, oh, you know what, actually, here's what's really going on. I'm struggling with addiction and here's where I've been and here's where it comes from. And this is what I went through just two years ago and then just being able to share over time. I had a person, a mentor who said to me once, you know, integrity reveals itself in time. And so you have to watch and engage and earn trust and allow people to earn your trust. And I think sometimes in faith circles, we have this false expectation that everybody should trust us and everybody should be trustworthy. And the truth is you can come as your whole self, but you wait until you're able to really be vulnerable and to be honest and to be really open about your life when somebody has earned trust and when you have earned trust. Trust in their life to do the same. That's and right. I think that's what safe environments do. It's like, yes, please come be your whole self, but see what we're about. And you tell us what you're about. And then let's create some reciprocity here and let's create a rhythm of trust.
0: That's right. And
1: I really felt like they did that exceptionally well. And that was the beginning of my journey. It also set the tone for me seeking out safe people and me being able to work on the parts of me that were unsafe and work on my desire Mm -hmm. to be perfect all the time and present in relationships as if I always am right and have wisdom and can offer you things and can help you fix stuff instead of showing up and, and being present. I didn't, I didn't know how to do that. I didn't feel like my Mm -hmm. presence was enough for anyone. I always felt like I needed to do or to serve or to have wise answers mm-hmm. and to just show up and be myself, you know, that's something I've cultivated on my recovery journey. And I really appreciate that time.
0: I love what you're saying. And I, I do tell women this all the time in particular, that trust must be earned, even yes. in that setting. You knew yes. it was safe, but something inside, you gave yourself permission to take baby yeah. steps because you had some serious trauma living inside yes. of you with the assault, with yes. all that you know, and so it's just like, let me just, weighed in. I think that's really important for people to hear. And then that trust builds over time. Listening to you, it's so interesting because what I experienced of you a few months ago was exactly what you're saying Mm. you experienced Mm. there, right? Which is someone who- Thank you. (laughs) Right? Someone who you were being vulnerable and transparent, but it wasn't in a way of dumping. We didn't feel like we needed to take care of you, right? it was the vulnerability of someone who's like, I'm going to show up as I am. Yeah. And that's an invitation. It's yes. just, and, and I felt that, yes. I felt that. And my husband and I often talk about how we wish, neither of us has sort of an overt, we all have addictions, but we want to make some sort of recovery group yeah. our church, because yes. that's where we've safety. It's people right. who have learned yes. that art of what you're describing.
1: Yes. Oh my gosh. I love this. And I'm very passionate about it because you know what I I think the recovery community does best is they lead with brokenness and they lead with story, right? So you're in the company of people where you feel like, oh, you're comfortable with your brokenness. Chances are, you're going to be comfortable with mine. And there is a little bit more of an exhale and a sense of confidence and a sense of trust that's built into that. I think it's those environments, you know, maybe you're listening in at your job or in your faith community, or even in your family, you feel that sense that to be loved or here or to be significant here, I need to pretend and perform, or I will not have value. And I I think we learn that in our homes of origin, in the schools we're raised in, in the teams that we're a part of, in our jobs. And I think it's a real journey to settle in to the safety that who you are is enough and that on your journey to becoming your best self you can still operate in reciprocal relationship with others and yes. that to pretend and perform is a lie <laughs> like and that we shouldn't have to lie to live okay say that again <laughs> we should not have to lie to live that's it
0: it's to show up in church communities yes. to show up in our families yes that divide where we show up you know one way versus how we're really doing is soul-killing. It really is. Soul-killing. That is the
1: best way to put it. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes. One question I want to ask you because of this theme of kind of growing up in a family where, let me put it this way, I talk to a lot of women, a lot of people who will say, I didn't really have that trauma. I didn't really have that. I mean, and and you did have some, especially when you got to college, but when you grow up in a family and, and, you know, your parents divorced later. So, you know, you can't point to five years old when somebody was maybe beating you up. I don't know. I mean, these really hard overt traumas. Yeah. Was it hard for you to give yourself permission to be where you were was there shame let me think about how to ask this question mm. was there shame in how did I end up here mm-hmm. yeah how, I
1: should have I should have been able to do better does that make sense how I'm asking oh, 100%, that 100 percent, yes and there was so much shame in it there was so much shame and you know like I went to school on an academic scholarship, but I had to give it up the last semester I was there because I was like, if I don't give it up, I'm going to lose it because my last semester of grades were were not good. And so I think that things like that, where you, I was the you know first person in my whole family to go to a four-year university. My mom graduated with a nursing degree. She was the first person in our family to ever graduate. And then I was the first one to go to a four-year university with the hopes of being able to be the first person to graduate. And I didn't graduate, you know, one semester short because, of the addiction, because of all the pain I was dealing with and because of my inability to ask for help. And so I think there was a ton of shame in that. And I, I think I also really thought I would be somebody, if that makes sense, you know, and I, I think that everybody else did, too. And so there was certainly that well, shame you were of,
0: on a track. I was so, on, I a mean, track. You were on a track. There was a yes. lot of expectation that you yes. were, were going to be the, the star of your family, 100%. of your town or, you know, yeah. all the things. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And yeah. When that, that doesn't happen. I think it is you're full of shame and full of regret, but here's the beauty of it is that if you can deal with the shame and part of that comes from just sitting in it, like the grief of failing. Tell me about that a little bit. Yes. That's really hard for people to realize. It doesn't always feel good at first. It doesn't, you know, the, you have to sit with that grief and the loss of potential And the realization that, wow, failure is a real part of my life. And now this is a part of my story. Mm -hmm. And to sit with that and own it and to let it be okay. And I think sometimes when we don't do that, it keeps us in shame because you live your whole life trying to return to that place, trying to earn people's approval, trying to live up to that, the person that you should have been. And you can go 20 years of living like that. And many people do. And so I think I really, through the recovery journey, through humility, through a lot of prayer, therapy, support groups, all the things like I did it all. And I recommend everybody do it all. It takes all the services and all the things like it takes what it takes to be well, and it takes what it takes to be free and you have to do it all. But I think that. That process really taught me one that it's okay to fail and that I'm not here on earth to be some kind of all-star and that I'm not here on earth to fulfill everybody's expectations and I am not here on earth to unfill my own ungodly expectations and that the Lord has his heart for me is love his banner over me is love and not expectations and not me jumping through a bunch of hoops and not me pretending and performing my way to heaven or my way into God's favor or my way into you know other people's favor. I am here to be healed and whole. And I think that Mm -hmm. that had to be enough for me, not pursuing the achievements so that I would be significant, but finding my significance outside of the achievements. And that I think has led to so much healing and breakthrough. And it has led me to not define my worth by the stuff that I do and I'm allowed to fail. And even as a mother, you know, this transitions into the next generation. I want my children and so does my husband. We want them to understand that you can fail mm-hmm. and that actually failure is a regular part of life. We do it daily. We do it weekly. We do it monthly in big and small ways. Yeah. And that's how we learn. That's how we grow. It doesn't have to be the thing that stops us or hinders us or halts our purpose or our life. It's like oh, great, a detour. Here we go. I failed. I made a mistake. It was big or it was small or it was somewhere in between, but I'm going to own it. It's mine. And I'm going to ask for forgiveness where I need to. And I'm going to take responsibility for my life where I need to. And I'm going to make the next right decision instead of feeling like Mm -hmm. I can never do enough to make this thing right. It's like, no, what is the next thing I can do in front of me (laughs) Mm is the next step that I can take. You can boil it down to today. You can boil it down Mm -hmm. to this journey and this path that we can walk on that is free of shame and free of the sense that failure is going to ruin our lives because it isn't. It isn't. (laughs) It doesn't have to. (laughs) So good.
0: Tell me a little bit about the journey. You've talked about a lot of things that were helpful. I'm curious, and I know that early group was probably the most significant. Mm -hmm. Give me one or two in those 20 years where there are junctures somewhere where something really helpful came in, but also what wasn't helpful. Right. What wasn't helpful. So that people can hear, right? Like what... Absolutely. You're going to bump into people who are trying to help that don't help, you know. Yes,
1: plenty of mm-hmm. times, believe mm-hmm. me. <laughs> So I'll tell two stories that I think sort of encapsulate both of those things. And the first was about two years into my recovery journey. I started building a great relationship and a friendship with the gal. We're still friends today. We love each other dearly. She's wonderful. And she became one of my closest friends in Los Angeles a couple of years after our move. And she had called me and I was in the process of recovery, the process of showing up as myself. And I wasn't hitting the mark all the time, but she called once and she said, Hey, how are you doing? And I said, Oh, I'm fine. And then I did what I always did back then, which was I switched the conversation. How are you? And I started asking her questions and talking about her life and all these different things. And she just was not buying my bull crap. And so we hung up the phone and 10 minutes later, there's a knock at my door and Uh. I open up my door and she's standing there. And at that time I had not told anybody openly about my sexual assault. I had also not told anybody that I'd had an abortion a year prior to that. Mm -hmm. I had so many like heavy secrets that many women and people carry. And I decided like when I saw her, I fell down on the floor, I burst into tears. And that was enough for me to start telling my story. And I shared with her that night, like what I was really walking through. And part of that was because she wasn't trying to fix me. She wasn't trying to save me. She wasn't trying to recommend, you know, Six books for my healing and five steps to freedom. You know, she just, she was a like the Lord was a very present help in town of That's me. right. That's and she right. was a blessing. She was the flesh. Yes. Yeah. And she mm-hmm. practiced the ministry of presence. Mm-hmm. And she sat with me and she cried with me and she listened to me and she shared with me. And we were vulnerable together. And that was, you know, a deeper step in our friendship. And I think that could be a next step for some people is that they just Mm -hmm. need to tell the whole truth to someone who's safe, that they already love, that they already have a connection Mm -hmm. to just tell the whole truth to them Mm -hmm. and watch how they respond. Watch yourself be loved when you think you're not going to be loved. Watch yourself be accepted when you think Mm -hmm. that perfection is the only way. Watch yourself be able to receive grace from someone like that in and of itself is the most healing experience I think a person can have. I've often thought, so there's three things. One, that it took a while, yes. right?
0: Like this was a few years in yes. where you still had layers of that onion that you hadn't quite yes. been able to peel back. So I just want people to hear that it wasn't, this was a process mm-hmm. and there's still a few of those really, really painful things that were still living inside of you silently. Yeah. The second thing is she saw through your, I'm fine. Yes. And that is amazing. That's an amazing <laughs> friend. I is. I have a friend who used to do that. I struggle a lot with codependency. I write about it in my next book. And yeah. every time I call her and be like, I'm just so worried about you. You've just been on my heart. I've been thinking about you. She called me back and say, what's up? <laughs> what's going on with you? Because that's, how, I mean, and she was dead right, right? If I'm hurting, I'll go be, I'll go take care of somebody else. And right, she just so saw good. right through it, right? And so this, you know, and it would make me so mad. I'd be like, I called to check on you. And she'd be like, what's going on? And and it's like the most amazing her. type of person that gets that. Yeah. And that, yes. that, that this friend was like. Okay, I'm at your door. What's going on? And you just sank into that. And then lastly, the other thing I'm curious about, because I kind of have a theory about this, and I'm curious if you relate. She didn't try to fix. She didn't try to solve. One of the things I think that is the most powerful when we're hurting and when we're in that raw, vulnerable place with a safe person, isn't that they try to help or fix us, is that they go, me too. Yes. Right? They go, and maybe it's (sighs) a different struggle, but they're like, yes. It's not that they're taking away from your story, but they're like, yeah. I get it. Not yes. from i I'm trying to help you, but from i I've got that pain too. Yep. Because then you're not alone. Correct. And that's where the healing comes. It's together.
1: Yes. Does that resonate with oh, you? That's, it you resonates know. so deeply. I, I like to call it the great exhale because that's what mm-hmm. it feels like. It's like the air in the room is so tight until that happens. And then you realize like, oh, okay, I'm not a freak. I'm not the only one. My emotions are normalized. My experience is normalized. And guess what? I'm not by myself. It's like the great exhale. I mean, you can do anything when you feel connected to others and you can do anything if you know somebody has survived it before you. You know, it's like, tell me or at least be in it with me. You know, it's helpful. It's helpful. It's <laughs>
0: unbelievably. And we actually know now that this is actually shifting something in the nervous system, right? The neurobiology oh, backs wow. this up. That, wow. That presence we god did not design us neurobiologically to heal in isolation right right so when that pain is living inside of you when someone comes in something happens yes literally and physiologically and emotionally and spiritually all the things that opens up Mm. that spaciousness inside of your your heart soul and mind that's a beautiful story Mm. now I love it. Now I almost don't want to go here, but I I do want to ask what wasn't helpful. Maybe maybe yeah. we kind of touched on it. It's it's the solution yeah. and the tr- someone try to fix you. But yeah. did you ever bump up against
1: that and where you had to set a boundary where you had to be yes. like
0: no that's not helping.
1: Yes, I think one of besides those things that you just mentioned and that were evident in this. Story, I think one of the things that is the hardest for people in recovery is the expectation for a person to be like you. And mm. there is so much judgment. In our world. And especially the more it becomes polarized, the more people are discipled really and indoctrinated by social media because they're on it two to four hours a day, the average adult, right? And so they're, they're getting fed all these things all the time. And they have this idea of how the world works. And then they develop an idea of how people should be Mm -hmm. and how people should act and how people should Mm -hmm. make decisions and how people should believe. And I think that a lot of that is present in relationships. And, um, my friend harmony says, please don't should all over me, you know, and I love that so much because that was the most unhelpful thing is when I would encounter someone who maybe they were a pastor, maybe they were a coworker, maybe they were an acquaintance, but they had the sense that if I just did things their way, that I could be better or that I could be healthy or that I could be whole or that my journey would go faster. And that's the other thing is people want to rush healing and recovery. I mean, I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but it, again, it takes what it takes for some people. They can hurdle something in a year. Other people, they can hurdle it in 10 other people. They deal with it their whole life. And I think we're any combination of those things, given the situation, like my anger is probably never going away. I wish Mm. it would. I think it's just actually a part of my life. I tend to go to anger to avoid hurt. Mm -hmm. And so that is always my gut instinct and my gut response. Mm -hmm. I cannot change it. I can't avoid it. I have to find ways to cope with it and deal with it, right? But then there Mm -hmm. are other things. Have I overcome the sexual assault? Yes, I have. Mm -hmm. I have walked through that process of healing. It does not affect me anymore. Did I overcome addiction? Yes, I did. I'm completely free from it. So there are these things that we get free from, but then there, there, there are these other tensions that we deal with forever. Ever. I love so I think that. we have to give each other space to not, you know, should all over one another yeah. and to not say, well, if you just did this, blah, 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 blah. First of all, that's never changed anyone. Second of mm. all, you're not gonna have no friends. So quit doing <laughs> that.
0: <laughs> I love that. That is so good. I want to just kind of as we wind down here, I'd love to ask, what are some of the key kind of practices? that help you on a day-to-day or a weekly, I guess a day-to-day basis to kind of mm-hmm. stay grounded? I know you got three kids. I oh, imagine they're not, these practices chaos. aren't perfect. I'm sure At every all. day you have it. <laughs> but are there, are there little little things that you do every day that kind of just help you stay grounded in, in the best of who you are and in, in that place yeah. of belovedness? I love what you said, that, oh, that yeah. banner over me is love. How do you go yeah. back to that? How do you remind yourself of that?
1: Yes. Well, I think this has changed for me in the last two years. Part of that is moving from Manhattan back to LA two weeks before COVID hit. So we've really been in a season where we have not been able to develop the kind of community that we've had for the past 20 years, me and my husband both. And that has greatly affected the way I move through the world. Mm -hmm. And so it's been interesting watching myself as someone who is so deeply devoted to relationships. And I'm a, I'm a long and deep kind of relational person. Mm -hmm. And to not have that in my weekly and daily experience has been very, very hard for me. So usually I would tell people relationship and community is the thing. I still fully believe that, but I'm in this place where that's not a reality for me. Mm. And especially as a young mother and studies show that one of the loneliest groups in America is mothers with young children. I didn't know that. I just read a study about it. It, Kids, 18 through 25 mothers of young children and um, our elderly community, which of course that makes perfect sense. So, um, you know, it's just, it's a lonely season. So what is working for me now is, you know, grounding techniques, deep breathing, stepping in my grass and just putting my feet in it and standing there and looking up at the sky and breathing. I became a plant mom. I have always killed everything I brought into my house. I mean, things you can't kill, I can, but I became a plant mom during COVID and watering my fiddle and wiping the leaves and my rubber Mm -hmm. plant and taking care of, you know, those green things every day has ministered to me in a really sweet way. And it, and it just brings me back to the moment. It brings me back to my body. Mm -hmm. I think walking having a discipline of laughter because it, you know, I like to laugh. It's, it's good for the soul, but I don't, I don't do it enough anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I think finding ways and small things, sending gifts or sending memes or laughing with my husband, like these are things watching a few TikToks together that just make us laugh till we cry. Like that is, you know, it sounds weird to say that's like a sacred practice, but it is. And I think that those things have really helped me. My last one I would say has been true for me since I was a little girl and that's writing. Mm-hmm. I think having a creative outlet, mm-hmm. whatever yours is, it might be organizing your pantry. It might be, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, helping your friends plan a party I and mean, whatever your creative thing is. But for me, it's writing. And mm-hmm. I come back into myself when I write and mm-hmm. I find myself, I'll come home. If that makes sense, there's no way for me to put the pen to paper and not be honest. And so that for me is, is a sacred Almost daily practice. So yeah, those are some things that have helped me in this lonely time.
0: That's beautiful. I was curious if doing the podcast brings some of that laughter.
1: Because I love
0: the description of it that it's helpful yes. and hilarious. And I was it like is. Isn't that an interesting I mean it's yes it's, I'm sure it's part of work, but it's also like yeah. a place to connect and a place to just that's yes. cool.
1: It yeah. is. And that is a weekly rhythm. And being able to serve people that way is so fun. Yeah. Um, and reacting to the hard world that we live in in a way that's like, yeah, this is hard and terrible and awful. But also let's laugh because what else are we going to do? Amen. Die in our anxiety? Amen. No, thank you.
0: <laughs> Amen. I mean, it's, it's just so real. I yes. mean, it's like... That's amazing. Holy laughter. I love it. I love that as a practice. All right. So what would you say to that young Mm -hmm. 18-year-old, 19-year-old Ashley from where you are now? What would you want her to know? And what would she think of who you are now?
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh. I think she'd be sorely disappointed with her career path. Cause I really thought I was going to be some kind of famous superstar, but you know, now that I'm here, I'm very pleased with where I am in my life, but I think she would be shocked. What I would tell her is that wholeness is a lofty goal mm. and that freedom is the right pursuit. And that friendship is, is the thing that will save you. And I think if I had really understood that, I could have harnessed the power of those things a whole lot younger than I was.
0: (laughs) No, Ashley, that is beautiful, right? Mm -hmm. Like that that desire, her desire to be somebody, whatever that meant, was actually fulfilled in being somebody to so many precious people, which you are. Thank you. That is really beautiful. I uh, love that. What would you say... To anyone who's listening right now, who's maybe still in a pattern of some sort of addiction, maybe still living that divide, what would you say Mm -hmm. to her?
1: Yeah, I think the first thing I would want you to know is that you are not alone. Because I think that is why so many of us divorce ourselves from our body or divorce ourselves from the truth or hide is Mm -hmm. because we are so afraid that if we... Share who we are with others will end up alone or we are so afraid that we will be more isolated if we share rather than being more connected. And so I'd want you to know that you are not alone and that connection is the way forward that mm-hmm. you will not be able to heal this on your own. You will tell yourself that every day and you will try every single day to do something different. But those brain grooves in your mind are, are so deep. It is a rut. And the only way out is to connect yourself to something bigger. And that could be community It could be therapy. It could be, you know, spirituality and faith. There's a million ways that you could do it that don't feel so overwhelming, but connection is the way out. And that's how we integrate to ourselves. Mm -hmm. That's how we love ourselves. That's Mm -hmm. how we come home to ourselves is through connection.
0: I love how Kurt Thompson, I don't know if you've read his book, The Soul of Shame, and he talks about how shame... Keeps us both from. It's all about connection, right? It disconnects us from ourselves. Yeah. It disconnects us from other people. It disconnects us from God. Right. And the only way through that is to reach for connection. And it's yeah. so hard when you feel that shame. Yes. But paradoxically, it's the only way. Exactly. To begin to heal it. So yeah. I love. I love that word. Okay. So I have a question that I ask all of my guests, but you're my very first guest. So you're the very first person that gets to get asked this. (laughs) (laughs) I actually have two questions because I couldn't decide between the two of them. (laughs) So the first one gets at the title of the podcast, which is, what is bringing out the best of you right Mm, now? Gosh.
1: Honestly, It sounds very weird. It's going to sound weird, but loneliness is bringing Mm. out the best in me because it is forcing me to be honest and it is forcing me to choose the life I want and not to surrender to the life that I don't want. And I think that that sense of isolation and loneliness is making me evaluate who I want to be in the future. Like who does Ashley at 50 and 60 want to be? And what do I want to do to take steps toward that? So I think it is calling me to a higher place of thinking and being and deciding, and I'm appreciative for it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is a, a really beautiful answer. Taking a, a hard season. Yeah. Yeah and we're still naming it as loneliness, it's hard, yeah. it's not what you want, but taking it and allowing it to become some sort of fertile ground. I love th- yeah. what you said with the image of all the plants. Yes. Right? Yes. It's like trying to let yourself take root. What? Who yes. do I want to become? Yes. And and sort of in that, there's a, I hear in that there's sort of, it might be a tendency to just kind of keep going with what's mm-hmm. been working versus slowing down. 100%. Yeah. I think,
1: yeah, I don't know of anyone who wouldn't be tempted to fall victim to just accepting life as it is. Mm -hmm. And we remove our powerful personhood where we are capable of making decisions to change our lives. Mm -hmm. And some of those decisions are small, some of them are big, but I have got to lean into my own capacity to build a different life and to build a life I love. And I know that I've done it before and we can Mm -hmm. all do it. It's possible. (laughs) I love it. The other thing I'm kind of curious about is what needs
0: and desires those are the two words what needs and desires are you working to
1: protect to safeguard? Hmm. I really love this question. I think that I'm working really hard to protect my vulnerability. Whoa. I hinted at this earlier, but because of my capacity to skip over my hurt and exhaustion and go right to anger and anxiety and I can cope with life through anger and anxiety because that has is how I've done it forever. But to be vulnerable and sit with hurt and to deal with my exhaustion, Mm -hmm. that makes me so anxious, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that makes me so angry to actually deal with those things first, I think is really critical for me in this season. So I'm really working hard to protect the vulnerability that I need to be hurt and to deal with that and to deal with exhaustion instead of skipping over it with anger and anxiety.
0: That's a great answer. And so how do you give me one example? Does that mean going to your husband and saying, does that mean going to a friend? What does that look like? How do you protect that vulnerability?
1: So I think I first have to stop myself Mm -hmm. from going into the sort of more shallow brain, if that makes sense. This thing that's just like, it's energy, it's adrenaline. And I can just run on that, you know, and I can run on it till it runs out. And then it feeds this vicious cycle of tired and anxious and angry and all these things and skips over the hurt. So dealing with the hurt is really saying, man, the last couple of years have been really hard. I didn't expect to turn 40 in a pandemic and have to do that by myself. I didn't expect to give birth in a mask. (laughs) I did not expect to lose my whole community. I did not Mm. expect to feel like I have to start my life over at 41. And I think actually, being honest about that and being truthful about it to myself, to God, and to the people who are closest to me. I think those things are really important. I'm working very hard to protect that instead of just running on adrenaline. I get it.
0: I I get it. I hear you. I get it. It's in in all the different places, yourself, God, and other people, just naming, being very real about what it is. That is is a great—I love that. This is just—I feel like I could kind of
1: keep going with you for hours— I feel the same. I'm so grateful for you. Thank you for how you love people. And the work that you do is so important. And your voice is so important. And thank you for being just a safe place in the wilderness and a freaking water tank in the desert. I appreciate you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) One of the unexpected benefits of podcasting, I was looking forward to this all day. There's connection. Yes. yes. You know, even though we're we're having this conversation a lot and and we're inviting other people into it. I'm like... Oh, I needed that too, right? This is a gift to me too to get to actually be real and go there and and talk about real things. Where can people, where can our listeners find you? What kinds of, you're you're doing some writing. How can people Mm -hmm.
1: find you and connect with you? Okay, so I spend the most time on social media on Instagram at Ash Abercrombie. And then I started um, a newsletter on Substack called After Hours. And so I write weekly essays and I also have a component called Mentor Monday where I answer questions every other Monday. I send out a video about boundaries or how to do boundaries at work, how to do boundaries at church, like all these different kinds of things that people are asking me and really putting that to work in the newsletter. So that's the newest thing that I'm excited about and a way for me to build a little internet neighborhood that people can come and connect. (laughs) I
0: love that. Well, we will link to all of that in the show notes. I have a feeling there's going to be a block of people... (laughs) Coming over there to learn about those great topics you've learned about the hard way, hard-earned yeah. wisdom. Thank yes. you so much for being here. And Thank you for having me. We'll look forward to the next time. Bye. Thank you for joining me for this episode of The Best of You. Be sure to check out the show notes for any resources and links mentioned in the show. You can find those on my website at drallisoncook.com. That's Allison with one L, cook.com. Before you forget, I hope you'll follow the show now so that you don't miss an episode. And I'd love it if you'd go ahead and leave a review. It helps so much to get the word out. I look forward to seeing you back here next Thursday. And remember, as you become the best of who you are, You honor God, you heal others, and you stay true to your God-given self.